This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I'm sure I speak for most folks listening that we all desire that favorite watering hole where, as the gang of cheers would say, everybody knows your name. Well, on the radio back in the 40s, listeners would tune in to hear Ed Gardner portray Archie, the bartender at Duffy's Tavern. Now, he was noted for his stupendous misuse of the English language and his weakness tended toward gullibility in succumbing to any money-making schemes. That certainly comes into play in tonight's episode, where one of his shifty friends tries to sell him a helicopter, no less. Duffy, the owner, never appeared, but Archie did, with Gardner himself assuming the role after he couldn't find the right actor to play the role. Gardner also brought radio directing experience to Duffy's Tavern. He had previously directed shows for George Burns and Gracie Allen, Bing Crosby, and even Al Jolson. So let's gather around the bar and see what Archie gets up to tonight. Black Milwaukee's finest beer brings you transcribed Duffy's Tavern, starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. Hello, Duffy's Tavern, where do you eat meat to eat and drink black beer? Archie, your mind you're speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. What's cooking? Uh, nothing. <laughs> the chef just quit. <laughs> huh? uh, no, the hours was okay, and the pay was okay. <laughs> it was just cooking. <laughs> he couldn't stand it. <laughs> What do our customers do if we don't serve some food? Do the same as when we serve food. <laughs> They'll eat someplace else. <laughs> Besides, there's only a few customers in the joint. Well, Herbie the Midget's here. Yeah, just got out of the hospital. Poor little guy. Spent two whole weeks in an oxygen symbol. <laughs> what was his trouble? Uh, he had uh, kidney pebbles. <laughs> And guess who else is back from the hospital? Sailor Slavinsky. Well, you remember that $100 bill he had tattooed on his chest? He was robbed. <laughs> huh? No, just a flesh wound. <laughs> but the joke was on the crook. <laughs> the tattoo was counterfeit. <laughs> uh, hey, that reminds me, Slippery McGuire's coming down tonight. Huh? It's all because he sold you that vanishing cream for Mrs. Duffy? But Duffy, he didn't guarantee to make a vanish payment. <laughs> okay, so he's a phony. But he's my pal. And I will book no insults on his behalf. Good day, sir. Eddie. Yes, Mr. Archie? Eddie, Slippery McGuire's coming down here tonight, so 
Leave us lay out the welcome mat for him, huh? We can't do it. Why not? He swiped it the last time he was here. <laughs> well, that's all in the past, Eddie. Slippery's gone straight. After all, a leopard can change his spots, can he? Well, if he does, it'll be for stripes. <laughs> um, just a second. I'll have you know that Slippery McGuire and me has been pals ever since our school days. Hmm. We've been pals. Every time that crook comes down here, he swindles you out of your money, and you wind up calling him a dirty, thieving crook. Well, that's true friendship. <laughs> the guy must think an awful lot of me to put up with it. <laughs> you know, Slippery McGuire and me has been pals ever since our school days. We was in CS4 together. Is that so? Yeah, he was even treasurer of our graduating class. You mean you graduated with Slippery? Uh, Miss Duffy, yes. As a matter of fact, there was no graduation that year. The cap and gown money disappeared. He started kind of young, didn't he? Yeah, and it was quite a blow to Slippery's father, one of the finest men I've ever met. But it wasn't his fault he couldn't guide Slippery in the right direction. How come? He could only see him on visiting day. A chip off the old cell block, huh? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what about his mother? Mrs. McGuire, sweet old lady, but she could never learn to refuse Slippery nothing. You know, she spoiled him. He'd come in and say, Mom, I need a $5 bill. She'd go right down the cellar and print one. <laughs> yeah, it was like that till the day they... The day they shaved her leg. <laughs> Yeah? Poor Slip has been through plenty. He's been through you a few times. Maybe so, but Slip has put his past behind him. He's now in a legitimate business selling war surplus. Like what? Oh, pistols, uh, shoes, flashlights, uh, refrigerators. Refrigerators? War surplus? The Cold War. Oh. <laughs> You know, Eddie, I, I'd like to throw some business slippery's way. You might think I'm going hog wild, but you know what I'm going to buy? For what? An airplane. <laughs> An airplane? Yep. You know, I've always wanted to fly. Well, have you ever considered a kite? <laughs> Don't belittle me, Eddie. You know, he's always getting rid of secondhand planes, and maybe Slippery can get me one. Imagine the own airplane, a B-29 or a BBX. <laughs> Flying up there in the clouds. Uh, I wonder what it's like. <laughs> you an aviator. What's so funny? How oh, are you get dizzy when you eat a three-decker sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> I bet even I can fly better than you. You can fly. You're stuffing. I'm talking about airplanes. <laughs> Not... Halloween night on a broom. Listen, it so happens that the best pilots in history have been women. Oh, yeah? Name one. Cobina Wright. <laughs> Cobina Wright, a, a pilot? Only the most important of the Wright brothers. Well... Okay, him. But, uh... <laughs> but that's just one. 
Don't, don't try to tell me nothing about aviation. You talk to Archie the Ace. <laughs> I've got air in me veins. Oh, yeah? Then how come you black out every time you lick an airmail stamp? <laughs> Besides, what kind of a junky crate is Slippery McGuire going to palm off on you, Archie? It ain't no junk. It's a genuine army surplus. I know. That crook sold Mama a surplus girdle that split the first time she wore it. Well, don't blame the girdle just because your old lady has too much surplus. <laughs> Archie, why do you always have to say such nasty things behind Mama's back? Well, it offers such a broad field of operation. <laughs> oh, you, you never have a good word for anybody. On the contrary, I have five good words for you. Hit the road. That's only three. The rest ain't hard to figure. Ah, uh, make a noise like a hoop and roll away. <laughs> Say, Mr. Archie. What is it, Eddie? Your friend Slippery McGuire is here. How do you know? I just reached into my pocket and found myself shaking hands with him. <laughs> Wait, Daddy, quiet, you old embarrassing. Well, Archie, my old pal. Well, Slippery, my old buddy. My old schoolmate. My old sidekick. The next voice you hear will be that of the old prosecuting attorney. Daddy, <laughs> cut out the rejoinders. Well, Slip, it's great to see you. I guess you've been working hard. Well, uh, not too hard, Arch. I like to take things easy. <laughs> yeah, you do it that, and yet you're a success. How do you do it, Slip? What's your point? Ah, very simple, Arch. Hear no evil, speak no evil, and keep moving. <laughs> Still the same old Slip. <laughs> you know, I missed you lately. You must have been away, huh? Oh, only for 30 days. <laughs> What was you doing? 30 days. I mean, uh, uh, I've been uh, putting in some time for the government. You know, uh, working on this surplus army stuff. Oh, yeah. I've been yeah. meaning to ask you, Slip. Ain't it a little late to be selling army surplus? Ah, right, come in. This is surplus army surplus. <laughs> You're right on the ball, ain't you? Ah, uh, sure, right. <laughs> I'm only selling things that people can use in practical everyday life. Yeah, practical everyday life? Yeah. Like yeah. what? Right? Well, like uh, landing barges, steam shovels, Quonset huts, anchors, rip cords, parachutes. Just a second. What's practical about a rip cord? <laughs> what else are you selling? Well, uh... Let's put it this way, Arch. What do you need? Well, I don't really need nothing, but I was kind of toying with the idea. It's silly to say. It. Go ahead. Tell your old pal. Nah, do it, say. What is it, Arch? I was thinking of an airplane. <laughs> a fighter or a bomber? Clint. <laughs> You mean there's a chance? Look, Arch, uh, how much have you got to spend? Well, not very much. Just 14 bucks. 14 bucks? For that, I wouldn't sell a plane to my own brother. Mm. Well, that's all I got. 
Brother, you bought yourself a plane. <laughs> of course, uh, for that price, there won't be a four-motor job. No, four motors. No. Uh, well, how about one of them, uh, them uh, helium copters? Oh, well, that's a cinch. Just give me the 14 bucks and I'll go get it out of stock before somebody else grabs it. Okay, hey, I slipped good luck and happy landing. Roger. <laughs> we'll go. <laughs> I'm just taking to it like a duck to water. <laughs> See you later, you ace you. Hello. <laughs> so long, Flip. Oh, boy. Hey, Eddie. Yeah? Hey, guess what? Flipper's going to get me one of them helium copters. A what? One of them airplanes you can land on a dime. Three to one that Slippery don't leave you a dime to land it on. <laughs> oh, no. Eddie. Eddie, I can see myself right now. Hmm? Me hands close to the controls. Coming in for a graceful crash landing. <laughs> All of a sudden, I get a flash on the radio. Stand by for ceiling zero. What? <laughs> oh, hello, Finnegan. Hey, Finnegan, maybe you'd be interested in my new project. Uh, do you like flying? Uh, no, not me. Why not? My arms get tired. <laughs> What I mean is, Slippery McGuire was just here, and he's in the Army surplus business. Uh, Ah, you out of his mind. Why? Who's going to buy a surplus army? (laughs) Uh, Hey, did you buy anything from him? Yeah, I bought airplanes. No fooling. What kind? Well, uh, you know what a helium copter is? Sure, a guy who cops helium. Well, not exactly. No? It's an airplane. Oh, it's oh. terrific. It can go straight up in the air, straight down, sideways, frontwards, backwards, you know, damn protections. <laughs> in fact, it can do everything that a bird can do. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'd like to see it either one. I think you've got a nice, clean air pocket where your head should be. Uh, thanks, Doc. I've always considered myself air-minded. Uh, so have I. But uh, uh, there's only one thing I can't understand. What's that? Uh, what holds an airplane up in the air? Well, uh, that's, uh, that's the thing I'll have to explain to you. You know, what? it's uh, one of the basic laws of physics. Uh, for instance, you take air, that's uh, H2O. <laughs> okay. It's much heavier than water. Now, on the other hand, uh, metal is a conductor which conducts the oxygen through the hydrogen, uh, which creates a vacuum which gives us gravity. <laughs> which, in turn, naturally pulls the plane up into the air. Is it clear so far? Dodge, what am I, a dope? <laughs> no, but even I had a little trouble with it at first. Well, uh, to go on, uh, you see, we take the stratosphere. Uh, what's that? Well, it's what it sounds like. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fear of high places. 
Now, in order to fly a straight line, the navigator checks the ground speed against the plane speed, which is, shall we assume, uh, 200 Fahrenheit an hour? Oh, that sounds like a lot of Fahrenheit. Well, don't forget, we've come a long way since the days when we had to land a plane by hand. <laughs> Today, we have automatic horsepower, frequency modulation, Wing spreads as high as uh, 39 RPM. <laughs> Automatic tail fins uh, in case the rudder goes on the blank. Uh, you know what used to happen in the old days when the rudder went on the blank? The car didn't give no milk. Are you sure this whole conversation ain't been too mechanical for you? <laughs> no, not at all. By the way, how chances for a job on your plane? Well, I don't know. You think you're right for the air? As right as I am for the land. <laughs> oh, come on now. Give me a break. I could help run your aeroplane. You know, my Uncle Pierre was your famous flyer. Your Uncle Pierre? Well, yeah. He was the first guy to try to cross the channel in a balloon. And Art, guess what he used for ballast? What? A case of black beer. Uh, yeah. A very tasty ballast. Yeah. Uh, did he have any trouble getting a balloon across the channel? Yeah, well, it would have been a perfect crossing, but for one thing. What was that? He never got the balloon off the ground. <laughs> Why not? He just couldn't bring himself to throw that ballast overboard. <laughs> Well, with a wonderful beer like that, you can hardly blame the guy. But uh, tell me, Finnegan, uh, didn't that balloon ever get up in the air? Oh, yeah, one time, Mike. My uncle took the black out of the balloon, and it came way up in the air. 5,000 feet, 10,000, 20,000, 40,000, 50,000, 40,000. Back to 40,000? Air pocket. <laughs> yeah. And then up to 50,000 feet, 100,000 feet. Wait a minute, Finnegan. Nobody could live at 100,000 feet. The very words my uncle said as he sat there on the ground sipping his glass. <laughs> well, your uncle was a very smart guy. <laughs> You're back. What? Huh? Uh, well, uh, tell me, where's me helium Hey, uh, look, Arch, we hit a little snag here. The Army's getting a little sticky about their airplanes. Yeah, huh? We'll have to clear this deal to Washington. <laughs> Who in Washington? Come here, Arch. Nobody listening? No. Can they trust you? Thank you. The man I'm talking about is you-know-who. No, him. You know who? Arch, please don't mention names. <laughs> yes, sir, we're taking this right up to the top. Give me the phone. Hey, Arch, what? Thanks. Hello. Hello, operator. Washington, D.C., please. Hello, Arch. <laughs> this is Slip. Oh, can't Frigby lay himself. <laughs> hey, look, Dean, I got something for you to clear to uh, you know who. Yeah, a buddy of mine wants to buy a helicopter. 
Yeah, something in that 10 to $15 bracket. <laughs> in the bag world, Dean. Well, uh, give my regards to the gang on Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, by the way, uh, tell Harry I'm still trying to get that Spike Jones record of the Missouri Walk, will you? <laughs> So long, Dean. Ah, you're all set. You got yourself an aeroplane. Oh, gee, thanks. Boy, I can hardly wait till I take me first spin in that helium tank. Your first spin? Just a minute, I... You won't be able to take that plane up in the air. Why not? No propeller. <laughs> what? Arch, did you ever hear of anybody buying an aeroplane with a propeller for $14? No. Well, then let's be reasonable. <laughs> okay, how much more for the propeller? One dollar <laughs> I ain't got a dollar <clears throat> All I got is this uh, lucky piece here Slip if you're willing to take it It's just, just a Chinese coin Chinese coin uh, What's it worth? 200,000 yen What's that in American money? Half a buck <laughs> Well, uh, let's see what it says here in the catalog. Let's see. Helicopter, $14. Helicopter landing gear, $12. Oh, here it is. Helicopter propeller, 200,000 yen. <laughs> Boy, I was right on a button, huh? Uh, this is your lucky day, Art. And now that I got the final okay from you-know-who, I'll arrange immediate delivery. And here's your official handbook of flying instructions. With the personal autograph of Gregory Peck. The greatest flyer of them all. Well, so long, Art. See you in the cockpit. So long, Flip. Boy, Eddie, you know, this is wonderful. I can see myself already. Whizzing across the continent, transatlantic flights across the Pacific. Can you imagine it? Breakfast in Duffy's Tavern. Two hours later, lunch at the Miami Biltmore in Chicago. <laughs> Ten hours later, supper at the Hollywood Bowl. Well, what held you up between Chicago and Hollywood? Oh, I had to stop. I needed gas. Not if you had breakfast at Duffy's Tavern. <laughs> I don't see the connection. Well, that's we're all set. Oh, Slip, hey, I forgot to ask you, where am I going to keep this helium copter? In a hangar, of course. A hanger? Where am I going to get a hanger? Well, uh, don't you know anybody that uh, might sell you one? Oh. What the... Well, maybe you could, huh? Uh, don't you think this is carrying friendship a little too far? Yeah. Although it just so happens I do have a few hangers in stock. You do? Yeah. Look, could you, could you spare me just one? Well, uh, you know, just for old time's sake. Oh, what's the use, Art? You always get around me. <laughs> I'm too soft-hearted for my own good. Uh, how much do you got left? Well, I'm broke, you. You know, you took me last 14 bucks. Well, that was your money. How about the cash register? <laughs> Look, are you suggesting arson? <laughs> <laughs> That's Duffy's money. So what? An aeroplane hanger right here on his roof will mean more business to Duffy, won't it? <laughs> hello? Duffy Tavern, Eddie the ground crew speaking. <laughs> oh, hello, Mr. Duffy. Huh? Mr. Archie? You mean Archie the pilot? He's busy dipping his wings in the cash register. <laughs>
what kids are saying. Now, right? let's see the catalog here. List price, June, that's $7. Well, that's okay. I got $10 here. Ten? Oh. <laughs> well, that's June. Let's see. July, $8. August, $9. Uh, Arch, what month is it? September. It'll make it even $10. <laughs> Yes, sir. And to show you what a good fellow I am, with the hanger, I'm going to throw in a wing sock. Well, thanks, Flip. I, I wear a size 12. <laughs> I'll make a note of that. Well, Arch, one more meeting with our contact, you know who, and we'll have you up in the air. I'll be right back with the plan. <laughs> Hey, Arch, what's two bucks? Well, okay, Arch, and here's your wings. You know who insisted that I give them to you at the wholesale price. Gee. Yeah. Now, Arch, you're all set. I'll be right back with the plane. Hey, Arch, slip. Two and a quarter. <laughs> and here you are, Arch. Your genuine never leaked parachute. Together with a box of emergency tire patches. Gee. Well, Arch, it looks like you're all set. I'll be right back with the plane. Seventy-five, eighty-five, ninety cents. <laughs> Here it is, Slip. Okay, Arch, and here's your non-skid white wall retractable landing gear. <laughs> Gee, well, Flip, when do I get me plane? Yep, yep, just as soon as I get final clearance from uh, you-know-who. Flip, it's empty. <laughs> empty, huh? Well, uh, never mind that, Arch. I got great news for you. Congratulations. For what? I've just been in conference with the you-know-who, and you-know-what? Who? I mean, what? Hold on to your hat, kid. He's coming down here tonight to install the hangar in places. In places? What an honor, huh? Uh, exactly. And naturally, before he puts in the hangar, he'll want to look over your pilot's license. Your pilot's license? Yeah, that's just a formality, of course. Yep. I ain't got no pilot's license. No pilot's license? No. This is a fine time to tell me that. Is it serious? Oh, what have we got ourselves into? Do you know what the fine is for operating a plane in a hangar without a license? How much? $29.15. Look, this is terrible. Can't, can't you fix it with the you-know-who? Well, now, look, that depends. But where am I going to get $29.15? Let me see. How about the dough I gave you for the plane and the hangar and the parachute and stuff? How much was that? $29.15. By George, that's quick thinking, Arch. <laughs> I'll take it right over to you-know-who. So long, little pal. So long, Slipman. Thanks a million. Gee, Eddie, I, I, I don't want to do without the old pal Slippery. Say, Archie. Oh, hello, Officer Clancy. You look kind of tired. What you been doing? I've been looking for a swindler who's been operating on 3rd Avenue. Oh, yeah? What's his name? You know who.
two, carry the three Z's and add four. What you doing, Miss Duffy? I'm subtracting twenty nine fifteen from your weekly salary. What's so tough about that? Did you ever try to subtract twenty nine dollars and fifteen cents from fifteen dollars? <laughs> And all because you had that crazy idea about being a great flyer. Yeah, and I didn't even come close. Well, don't feel too bad. After all, you did succeed in making an ace of yourself. <laughs> don't try to cheer me up, Miss Duffy. What really burns me up is that I had my heart set on taking a plane trip to Milwaukee. Well, maybe you can't go to Milwaukee, but we can bring Milwaukee to you. How do you mean? Here, have a black spear. Ah, thanks, Miss Duffy. You know, I, I guess you could travel everywhere and never find a better or more refreshing beer than black. Right you are, Archie. So right that if you took a palate preference poll of the people in Milwaukee or in the state of Wisconsin, you'd find the majority, and I mean the great majority, would agree with you. Yes, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the premium beer capital of America, the brewing center of the USA the home of our finest beers, Blatt, B-L-A-T-Z, is the largest selling beer and by a great and growing margin. Friends, you don't have to come from Milwaukee to appreciate Blatt. Try Blatt tomorrow. Compare it with any beer at any price. Your own good taste will tell you what folks in Milwaukee have known for almost 100 years, that Blatt, B-L-A-T-Z, Black is Milwaukee's finest beer. I'm from Milwaukee and I ought to know It's the same old story wherever you go This is the tune you will always hear Be sure to listen next week at the same time to Duffy's Tavern, transcribed over most of these same stations. Stay tuned for Sam Spade next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Howard Duff as Sam Spade to solve another case here on Theater of the Mind. Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic and the new Wild Root Liquid Cream Shampoo present The Adventures of Sam Spade. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Oh, Sam. I'm glad you're back in town. So am I, Effie. So am I. Confidentially, I didn't think I'd make it. Uh, Confidentially, that is. Was it dangerous, Sam? I should say it was. Why, for the past 24 hours, I've been at it hammer and tongs over hill and dale, through shot and shell. It was enough to turn any ordinary man's blood to ice and his hair pure white. Oh, that sounds terrifying, Sam. I wish it had been only terrifying, Effie. It was blood-curdling, spine-chilling, hair-raising. I was bored. It was also rural and countryfied. Well, what happened, Sam? Tell me. You've heard of the Martins and the Coys? No. And the Boston Massacre? No. Custer's Last Stand? No. Well, put them all together and they spell uh, what I'll shortly be in to dictate, a report which I call in a burst of clever literary plagiarism, the Farmer's Daughter Caper. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, starring Howard Duff. 
Produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. And now, with Howard Duff as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. I'm right here, Sam. Pull up all the shades. All right, Sam. Now, turn on every light in the place. But it's daylight. Do what I say. All right, Sam. Now, uh, check the closets. But what for? For snipers. What do you think? All right, Sam. Nobody here. Okay. I guess it's safe to come all the way in. Sam, I don't understand. Effie, it's just that I don't ever want to be caught in the dark again, especially when people are shooting at me. I want to see every nook and cranny of every square foot of land that surrounds me. Sam, who was shooting at you? Where? <sighs> they were shooting from the left, from the right, from up above, down below, everywhere. <gasps> Death was winging in on every breeze that blew, and they all blew my way. Oh, Sam, now stop this. I'm just dying of curiosity. <sighs> when my time comes, I hope that's all I ever die of. Ready? Uh, date this week to Mr. Elliot Parson, Parson Drive Yourself Garage, 1618 St. Charles Street, San Francisco, 13, California. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the farmer's daughter caper. Dear Mr. Parson, I fear you have an explanation coming, one that you can pass along to your insurance company as to why the car I rented from you last week appeared as late as it did and in the condition it did. As you know, I rented said vehicle to drive to Middletown to bail a client out of the drunk tank. On the way back, a native showed me a shortcut, and I'll get him if it's the last thing I do. Dusk was falling, and so were my eyelids, when I saw a sign that said, Tourists Invited. Behind it stood a ramshackle farmhouse in a surly woodland setting. I should never have knocked on that farmhouse door, but then I wouldn't have had any story to tell, would I? Good evening, young man. Uh, good evening, madam. I'm afraid I need a room for the night. Well, of course you do. Land sakes, you're tired, I can tell by your eyes. Been on the road long? Too long. Land sakes, of course you have. Come in, please. Thank you, ma'am. You'll find this is the homiest tourist home in California. Really like mothers, eh? Like your grandmothers. Huh. No electricity, no phones, just quiet. See? Now, I have two rooms, a $3 one and a $5 one. Which one do you think you like? Uh, what's the difference? One less blanket, one squeaky spring, and with the $3 one, you might have to take a walk. I'll take the $5 one, thank you. I'm Mrs. Elkins, Mrs. Bert Elkins. Who might you be? Uh, Sam Spade. Spade? Land sakes, that's a very unusual name. <laughs> and who are you traveling with, Mr. Spade? Uh, I'm alone. Oh, I mean what company. We only accept traveling salesmen. You realize that. Oh, uh, yes. Well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, traveling for the makers of Mouton Mustache Wax. Oh, oh. Use it all the time. You are well-groomed, madam. <laughs> you will go far, young man. <laughs> yeah, but before that, I'd like to go to bed. <laughs> Come on. This way. She led me upstairs to my $5 room and left me. As lumpy as it was, the bed invited me, but I decided to shave first and thus facilitate an early start in the morning. 
I poured myself a drink out of my traveling bar kit and then stepped in to shave. It wasn't easy because all I had for light in there was an oil lamp. When I came back to the bedroom with a lamp in one hand, I stopped short in utter surprise. I'd heard about these things in traveling salesman stories, but I never expected to see it. She was sitting in an armchair, smoking a cigarette. High heels, silk stockings, light rayon dress, and a face right off the cover of Cosmopolitan. Hello, Sam. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Mary Smith. Huh? Hope you don't mind me just barging in. Well, no, no. Well, no, that is... Uh, Afraid I'll bite you? <sighs> never entered my mind. Well, I might. I'm so tired of talking to myself, I need someone like you. You know, you're not bad to look at. Who, me? Where do you live? What do you do for a living? Well, I guess you'd call me independently wealthy. I wish someone would. How nice. San Francisco? There must be some fog on my lapel. Look, Sam, I'll give it to you straight. I want to get out of here, go to San Francisco. Could you take a passenger tomorrow? Well, uh, what would your mother say? She's my aunt. What do I care what she says? I don't belong on a farm. Out in a west, wet pasture ruins my nylons. I'm a city girl, Philadelphia. Why did you leave? My parents died. Look, Sam, I won't be a burden to you. I just want to get to San Francisco. After that, I'm on my own. Sam, take me with you. Please take me with you. You won't regret it. Well, what am I going to do with this man? Who cares? Oh, Sam. <gasps> <clears throat> what? Oh, I thought I'd find something like this going on in here. And what I, I... Get out of here. Go back to your room, young lady. Go on. Now, Mr. Spade. It does look bad, doesn't it? Oh, I'm not blaming you, Mr. Spade. Nan's sakes, it's her. She ain't responsible for what she does. She's like this all the time. I see. Now, when I go out, you just lock your door. Just keep it locked. But, ma'am, this is a $5 room. <laughs> a sleepless hour later, I heard something slide under my door. I looked and found it was a note that read... Mr. Spade, Sam, please unlock your door, and when the house is quiet, I'll come and see you. I'm desperate, terribly, terribly desperate. Don't leave me. Give me a chance to tell you what it's all about, please. Stupid me, I unlocked my door, dressed again, and waited. An hour and a half later, I heard my doorknob turning in the dark. The door opened quietly and quickly. Sam, the things that go on in this house, they're insane. Oh. I've been here three months. When my father died, I had no money, and because Aunt Maud was my only relative, I came here. And ever since I came, they never let me out of the house for more than an hour. They never let me see anyone or do anything. Why? I wish I knew. Five days ago, Uncle Bert left early one morning. He hasn't come back since. Aunt Maud says he's away on business. He doesn't have any business. Well, even so, that doesn't seem strange to me. Then there's my dog. What about it? It, it disappeared the same night Bert did. They told me it ran away. I know it didn't. I've had it for three years. It never ran away. What do you think? Well, I, I was sure I could hear it howling somewhere for two or three nights. Then the howling stopped. I think I know where it is, but I don't know why. It scares me. Well, where do you think it is? Sam, you're going to think I'm crazy right out of my mind, but... Well, about 150 yards behind the house, there's a hillside with an old cave in it. Oh, an old cave? I don't know what it's used for, but yesterday I saw the whole front end of it closed. Closed with dirt. Sam. They buried that dog alive in that cave. I know it. Oh, wait a minute now. Uh, did you ask Mrs. Elkins? Yes. All she said was the dog ran away and mind your own business. She told me to leave the cave alone. Sam, let's go out there and look. 
please. Well. So big, brave, stupid Sam, idiot boy, allowed her to show me the back way out of the house and we sneaked to the barn together. She found a shovel and we walked to the cave. When my eyes got accustomed to the dark, I saw the entrance had been covered with dirt and recently... I took the shovel while she stood watching. I cleared half of the dirt away and worked as quietly as I could, but apparently not quietly enough. A flashlight suddenly hit both of us in the face and a shotgun barrel flashed in the beam. Get away from there before I shoot your head off. Uh, point that thing someplace else, please, ma'am. Just what do you think you're doing, mister? Digging. Mary, you get back to the house. No. And Maud, I won't. Get back to the house before I count three or I'll put a load of buckshot right through you now. One. And Maud, my dog is in there. Two. All right. Now, Mrs. Elkins, suppose you put that gun down and tell me what this is all about. I got one thing to say to you, mister. Get in your car and get out of here and don't waste any time doing it. But, madam, Your suitcase I... is in the car and your five dollars is with it. Yeah, but... Now get, before I shoot you as a trespasser. And I could do it, mister. Land sakes, I could do it. Now get. So I got under guard to my car. I got in and drove off. And this is the driveway with a shotgun still pointed at me until I was out of sight. I turned left at the first crossroad, parked the car, and cut through the woods back to the farm. I could see a light in the living room. Nobody was in or near the barn. When I got to the cave, there wasn't a sound anywhere. I picked up the shovel I dropped and started digging again. Thirty minutes later, the shovel broke a small hole through into that cave, and a stifling blast of fetid air rushed out, and something leaped out at me in the dark. And it wasn't the dog. It was a human hand on a human arm. The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of America's favorite private detective, Sam Spade. And now, back to the farmer's daughter caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. In a night already full of surprises, I should have been ready for the next one, but I wasn't. The loose earth, which had blocked the entrance to the cave, suddenly fell away, and I fell with it. Then I heard something like nothing on earth. Nails dragged across my face, taking skin and flesh with them. I twisted and went down, and something went down with me. The snarl became a voice. Bury me alive! Bury me alive! I'll kill you! I'll kill you! And he did his best, which was pretty good. Finally, I got a good hold on him and sat on his chest. After that, I lit a match and looked at a tall, thin man in his middle 40s. He was caked with mud from head to foot. His hands were impossibly torn and bleeding. I could guess why. Judging from the stubble on his face, he'd been bottled up in that cave at least five days. How he was still alive, I didn't know. He acted like a madman, and he had every right to. But surprise, when his eyelids fluttered open again, he read a very sane line. I'm all done in. You got a drink, friend? Not on me. They hit me on the head and left me there. They thought I'd stay in there forever. Forever. Who put you there? Who did it? But they couldn't keep me there. I took my way out tonight. Tonight. I took my way out. Tonight. The force of the bullets knocked them halfway back down the incline to the cave. 
All I could do was hit the dirt. Finally, when it seemed safe, I broke cover and ran smack into somebody carrying two bags. Oh, no. No, please, please. Let's have a look at you. Sam. Sam, it's me. Sam, I knew you wouldn't go away without me. I knew it. I couldn't stay in that awful house any longer. Tell me that now. Who was that shooting at? I don't know. Where's your aunt? house, I suppose. I slipped out the back way. Any visitors tonight? No. What is it? What is it? I think I find your Uncle Bert. Come on. I led her back to the cave entrance and showed her the body of the man I dragged out. I watched her face a long time as she looked at him very carefully. It's not Uncle Bert, Sam. Really? No. It's Mr. Linden. Jewelry salesman. Came to the place a few nights ago. Five nights ago? Yes. Come to think of it. Same night your uncle disappeared. Tell me, did you ask Mr. Lennon to take you back to San Francisco the same way you asked me? I, I... Did you? Yes. He said he would. Got up early and left without me. He didn't get far. What kind of car was he driving? I don't know. I don't remember. Do you drive a car? Yes, but Here. I... Mine's down the road about 500 yards. Go to the nearest phone and call the highway patrol, a sheriff, anybody who represents law. Got that? Yes, yes. I know exactly what to do. <laughs> To make sure we were both thinking of the same thing to do, I followed her in the dark, watched her get into the car I rented from you, and drive off. Then I turned around, put a new clip in my gun, and walked back to the old homestead. It was still very homey. By the light of an oil lamp, Mrs. Elkins was peacefully knitting what looked like a shroud. Why, Mr. Spade? Why, Mrs. Elkins? Land sakes. Land sakes. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get down to business. If you're here to make trouble, young man, believe me, I can handle trouble. My kind of stock know about trouble. Well, uh, suppose you tell me about the trouble I just had, or haven't you heard all the shots that were fired around here tonight? Shots? My, my. My, my. Seems I would have heard gunshots. Seems you would. Look, uh, I've got a sheriff on the way. Have you, Mr. Spade? Why? I suppose you didn't hear the shooting. Oh, yes, yes, I'd forgotten. Was anyone hurt? A man named Linden. He's dead. Linden. Linden. Now, that sounds familiar. It should. He stayed here five nights ago. He was a jewelry salesman. Yes, yes, now I remember. You say he's dead? Somebody tried to bury him alive in your little cave. How awful. I do declare. I thought you would. Well? You must be joshing, Mr. Spade. I'm not joshing at all, Mrs. Elkins. Well, well. Buried alive, you say. Look, uh, let's talk just like plain folks. Where's your husband? Where's the jewelry samples you probably stole from Lyndon? Is there anything else you want to say? Gunshots, eh? Well, well. I left the sweet old thing knitting and rocking and made my way through the house looking for guns, jewelry, and killers. I got downstairs in time to see Mrs. Elkins disappear out the front door. When I tried to follow, I stumbled over the rocking chair, which was indeed a lucky thing for me. After a few minutes of silence, bravely crawling on my stomach, I followed the shadows of the house until they blended into the shadows of a large, hulking building, which happened to be the barn. Inside, I bumped my head on the radiator of a car. Naturally, I didn't find any keys in it, but I did find a familiar jewelry salesman-type mud-soaked corpse. I was trying to remember how to cross ignition wires. I heard the hum of a motor and saw two headlight beams swinging up the driveway. They lasted as long as any other lights. The car came to a lurching stop and a thick-set figure in a Stetson hat stumbled towards me, tugging at a gun. That burned gold flame cuss thing, I... Undo the flap. Oh, thanks. 
Huh? Put your hands up, whoever you, you are. You be the sheriff? You're dead blame right on the sheriff. You're dead blame right on the sheriff. Who are you? What's out there shooting the lights out my car? My car. Oh, you Slade? Spade. Well, I'm Homer Pickett, sheriff of this county. The girl come, woke me up, said all sorts of funny things going on around here. Said there'd been a murder. Who's killed? What's going on, Stan? Sam. Well, uh, for one thing, somebody's been trying all sorts of ammunition on me for size. You don't say. I do say, Mr. Sheriff. Why? Because I found a man in a cave who'd been left there to die. Want to look at the corpse? You can look at him right here. He's sitting in this car. So he is. How did he get here? Uh, somebody moved him here. Shorten a move a corpse till the police examine it. I didn't move it. Huh? Now listen closely. Listening? Huh? I found the man. He was still alive. Then somebody shot him. Shorten a moved him. Then they tried to kill me because I found him. When they didn't kill me, they decided to hide his body. Illegal. They probably intended to drive away and dispose of it so there'd be no evidence when an efficient, smart, alert, courageous police officer like yourself came around to ask questions. Hey, hey, that sounds reasonable. Who's behind all this? Well, uh, Mrs. Elkins threatened me once and tried to kill me once. More! Well, Lancey. That's her, yes. I want to talk to her. Where's she? Roaming the countryside with a gun, no doubt. Well, we'll have to clear all this up, see what it's all about. Now, who's this fellow in the car? His name's James Linden. Got a pencil? Better write that down. Tilden, huh? Linden. Well. Uh, by any strange coincidence, Sheriff, you happen to know a man named Dundee, San Francisco homicide? Lieutenant Dundee, old Tom. Old Tom, yes. Shucks, I learned everything I know about police work from him. Yeah, well, that's fair. And law's law. Dundee always said... Yeah, I've heard him turn. say it, Sheriff, but... And I aim to enforce it around here. One side, Mr. Slade. Spade. Uh, hey, uh, uh, you'll be sorry... Well, now look here, all you Elkins. This is Homer Pickett talking, and I ain't no small town constable. I'm the sheriff of this county. You'll get a swear deal from me, but first I order you, in the name of the law, to throw down your guns. Well, oh, oh, oh my, my, oh. you all right? Nothing but my feelings hurt. Oh, I warned you. I, I, I thought that'd do some good. Well, now you know. Hey, look, maybe it did do some good. I'm giving up, Jack. I'm giving up. It's me, Mrs. Elkins. She came across the farmyard as the first light was showing in the eastern sky. Her hands were above her head. One held a shotgun. Mark, get back where you belong, Mark. We could hear, but we couldn't see him. Maud stopped, hesitated for a moment, and then began running towards us. She almost made it. No! drag her back, expecting any second to be the target for the night. There was a sudden and curious silence as I pulled her into the barn. She was still alive. Thanks. That man's been missing everybody all night. Never thought he'd be able to hit me. Easy. I come from good stock. I'm no criminal, Mr. Spade. Sheriff, you know that. Yeah, I know, Maud. I know. Let me take a look at you. You'll be okay. Don't blame Bert too much. He wanted to have money once in his life. So when this man came along with all the jewelry, Bert went out of his mind, I guess. He put the man in the cave. And the dog, too. So the dog wouldn't call attention to him. And then he took the man's car. Went into San Francisco to try to sell the jewels. In the underworld. <laughs> no luck, eh? Bert says he laughed at him. The jewels would... Just paste. 
stamp house. And he came back and found me at the cave, and he figured he had to knock us both off. I just stuck by him all the way. Now he's like a tiger that smelled blood. No telling what he'll do. We'll have to get help, Spade. Roadblocks, bloodhounds. No. No, this is his land. He won't run. He'll hide here. Where? Why, in the cave. Well, I uh, reasoned one that no matter how much a man loved his land, he was not going to let himself be trapped in a cave with only one exit. And two, it followed, therefore, that if he did hide in the cave, there was more than one way out, which the late Lyndon hadn't found. Sheriff Pickett volunteered to watch the front of the cave while I looked around for a rear exit. After a 20-minute search, which netted me nothing, I remembered the car parked inside the barn and how quickly Elkins had carried Lyndon's body to it. I went back there and took a look around. In a corner of the barn, I found a trail of dirt leading to a bale of hay. When I moved the, hay, the bale, I found, you guessed it, a trap door. I pulled it open, caught a familiar whiff of used-up air, and lowered myself into a black hole that turned out to be a passageway. I cautiously made my way forward in the darkness for a few yards. Who is it? Who is it? I pressed back against the dirt wall, listening to him approach. When I figured he was close enough, I threw a cloud of dirt toward him across the passageway. His gun flashed and lit up the whole place for a second, and I fired three times at the silhouette. I waited, then I went towards him. He was lying on his back. I kicked his gun away, and when I bent over him to feel his pulse, he suddenly came to life. Something crashed against the side of my head, and everything became darker than the inside of a cave. The next thing I knew, I was looking at a pair of red-rimmed eyes. Several minutes had gone by. Thought you was a goner for sure. You ain't used to this country fighting, are you? Is this country lucky, Sheriff? Uh, Yeah. Give me. Here. (coughs) Country lucky. Tell me, Sheriff, did you by any chance... Sure, of course I did. I got him, Slate. Report. Sam, hmm? do you mean to tell me you let a little country sheriff outdo you? Well, Effie, Homer Pickett's coming up for re-election next fall, and besides, you might think I was egotistical if I told you how it really ended. But your reputation! You're the greatest private detective of them all! And so I can afford to be generous. Now, not another word. Scoot, type that up. Oh. rewrote the ending. I had to, Sam. You're much too modest. And Sam Spade, with a knot of cold fury in the pit of his stomach, a vindictive fire in his eyes, stepped wearily over the loose rocks on the cave floor to do battle with the thing that loomed up in the darkness ahead. Mm-hmm. The thing's roar filled the night with terror. But Sam Spade, dauntless and knowing not fear, stepped up to the monster, laughed in its hairy face, and with one quick convulsion of his powerful shoulder muscles, dropped the thing in its tracks. Easy. Well, is that the way you think it ended, Effie? Oh, Sam, I guess I was being a little foolish. I'll change it. No. 
No, as long as you've done it this way, we'll leave it this way. Can't waste paper. No, no, I'll change it, Sam. Leave it! Oh! Sam. Yeah? I copied that ending out of an old black mask magazine. You what? Yes, Sam. Don't be mad. Come here. Come on! I copied that out of an old whiz-bang. Oh, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorreen Tuttle is Effie. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade was written for radio by John Michael Hayes and E. Jack Newman. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin with score composed by Pierre and Rene Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when producer William Spear presents another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. This is Dick Joy speaking. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by X-1. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.